the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, episode 533 for Monday, December 29th, 2014. <laughs> I don't even know what we do here, John. You know, I've done, how many times have I done this intro? Probably 300, right? Because there was a time when, when I was doing the intro. Approximately. Yeah. So 300 yeah. times. I have no idea what I'm supposed to do now, so I'm just going to play the song. And welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Hub, the show where you send in your questions, your tips, your cool stuff found. We share all that. We answer it. We share our own stuff, tales of woe, cool things we've found together. The goal is to learn a whole lot new about the Mac. One of these days, I got to listen back to the show and figure out what it is that I do in the intro so that I don't forget. That's really... Um, it's both embarrassing and funny. This episode is sponsored by Linda at lynda.com, L-Y-N-D-A.com slash M-G-G for a 10-day, that's 10 days, free trial of their uh, award-winning and really well-done videos. So check it out, lynda.com slash M-G-G. We will talk about that later in the show. Here in Durham, New Hampshire, for the last time this year, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here... Watching my esteemed colleague, Dave Hamilton, crash and burn <laughs> for the last episode of the year. Yeah. Is, uh, John F. Braun. Yeah. I haven't even started drinking yet. I have no idea what, um, what caused me to fall off my game there, but, uh, but I definitely did. So there we go. Um, so we might as well just get, get through, we go into this and get through this and then, and then get past it. John, uh, I, we talked last week and the show uh, happened just after I had dropped off my iMac for um, for diagnosis and repair, actually for repair. I guess where we left it last week was I had dropped it off that morning and uh, they had called me and told me it's the power supply. It's a hundred and six dollar fix and uh, we're going to take care of it. We'll call you when it's finished. Right. I think that's where we left. That's where we left off. Right. This is your 2011, 27 inch, I believe. That's correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, okay. So that was their initial diagnosis. All right. Sounds good. But sounds as good. you uh, said, how'd that work out? Well, as you said during the show, sometimes what you have to do is test your theory to find out that you were wrong. And, uh, and you know, so it got to be like nine o'clock at night on Sunday, we finished the show. I still hadn't heard from, them. I thought this is kind of weird if they have the machine open, uh, you know, that's kind of a, you, you know, uh, it's not a, it's not a big deal to repair that or to, to replace that. So I called them up like nine o'clock at night. Hey, uh, they said, uh, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm glad you called. Um, so we replaced the power supply and it, uh, it's still having problems. So we think it's the motherboard, uh, but we're not sure we want to run it through a series of tests overnight. I'm like, okay, fine. You know, so uh, they run it through their tests. Yeah, it comes to be about two o'clock the next day. Still haven't heard from him. So I give them a call. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. Glad you called. So um, yeah, it's the, it's the motherboard. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, what did the tests reveal? Cause I'm just, you know, a geek, right? This is what we do. So I, I like to know the answers so I can, can share and hopefully it helps people, but also for my own edification. And uh, I'm like, was it, you said you were going to run some tests overnight. Was it the, 
the test that told you this. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It was the test. Like, okay, fine. Uh, what's the damage on a motherboard? Like, uh, let me look that up. Five minutes go by. They come back. Yeah. Okay, great. Uh, it's $737 for the motherboard. I had already done the math. Uh, I knew what the machine was worth, which was about 1300 bucks. And, uh, and I figured, okay, okay. fine. I'm close. Yeah. Right. But it's, it's, you know, fine. I said, will you charge me? What's the story with the power supply? Will you charge me for that? No. Okay, great. Will you leave the new power supply in there? Yes. Okay, great. So now for $737, I get a new motherboard and a new power supply and they've done all the work. Great. You know what? Go ahead and do it. So, um, you know, it gets to be about nine o'clock again. Phone hasn't rang. I call them up. Uh, yeah. Hey, glad you called. They say this is getting to be, you know, wash, rinse, repeat here. So yeah, we put the new motherboard in. We're seeing some odd results on our test. We think maybe we're going to take it apart again and like reseat the connectors on this new motherboard. I'm like, okay, but you and I both know that that's not going to do anything. Right. <laughs> and they're like, actually, yeah, yeah, you're, you're probably right. I'm like, okay, well, I said, when the, when I checked it in, the guy that I checked it in with said, like immediately assumed it was the graphics card because there's a, a recall on those, on this, there's an, or a warranty extension on those. And, uh, and he, and actually it was a, she, she said, uh, she said, yeah, yeah. You know what? Um, there is, we're going to try a new graphics card. So the next day, uh, they call me and they're like, good news and bad news. Uh, it is that putting the new graphics card in fixed it I'm like, great. Awesome. Uh, but you know, the motherboard that we put in is a little bit flaky, so we actually, we're, we want to, we're getting some weird sensor readings. We want to swap your motherboard again, but we don't have one. So it's probably not going to be here. It might be here Wednesday, which was Christmas Eve. If not, it's going to be here Friday. And then we get to test it overnight. So you're probably not going to hear from us until Friday or Saturday. Like, you know what? That's fine. I said, what's the damage now? What are we talking about here? They're like, oh, well, um, we're only, we're going to replace the power supply, the motherboard and the graphics card, but we're only going to charge you for the, the part or parts that were actually required to fix the problem. I'm like, wow, that's awesome. Cause my motherboard, uh, my ethernet port on it had stopped working, which we talked about over the summer, uh, or it stopped working at gigabit speeds. And so it was like, this is awesome. Great. So, uh, Saturday I get a call. Yep. You're good to go. Uh, all we're going to charge you for is the motherboard. It's 236 bucks. Like, woo, great. Awesome. Or 265 bucks, 36 bucks, 236 plus like 40 bucks labor. This is great. So I go down there and uh, they show me the receipt and it's like $1,100 worth of parts and labor. But they say, don't worry, we're only going to charge you this and which they did. And uh, I put the thing in the car. It's a, the, the computers that or the Apple store that I was going to was the Rockingham Mall in, in, in Salem. So I put the computer in the car and uh, we go back in the mall and we had lunch and we shopped around a little bit or whatever. And as we're finishing lunch, just about to leave. I pull up the receipt, John, on my uh, on my phone because that's you know they email you the receipt and I'm looking at it and it shows the three parts that they replaced and one of them is a part for a core i5 3.1 gigahertz motherboard. My computer had started the week with an i7 3.4 gigahertz motherboard. It's like oh, you've been robbed. Yeah. <laughs> so I went back in. They they were once they sort of accepted their they, they were fine the, the, the guy up front was a little bit 
I, I get the feeling that the people up front in the Apple stores, like the people that, that assign you to a genius or assign appointments don't have a whole lot of leeway because he was saying, well, you know, we might be able to get you an appointment to check it back in later tonight. I'm like, no, no, we're going to check it back in right now. We're not going to wait till later tonight. He's like, well, okay, all right, well, we can check it in, but you know, it's probably going to be another week before we get to look at this. We're really backed up. <laughs> like again, no, no, you're backed up because my computer just moved to the front of the line, right? I mean, you, you, you can't, you stole from me. It, everybody, once the geniuses got involved and once management got involved, which they, they sort of did on their own, I didn't have to make a big stink or anything. Everything was fine. But this poor guy up front was, was a little bit unsure of how to handle things, but, uh, but we did get it checked in. And uh, then last night I finally went and picked it up with the right motherboard. And of course the new power supply and graphics card. And, uh, for the most, I mean, it, it, oh, I was going to say for the most part, things are fine. Things are totally fine. Uh, when you get a new motherboard, things change on the computer. So there was a little bit of reset up and, and things like that. It, iCloud keychain got reset. Find my Mac got reset. SMS forwarding got reset, right? All of, a lot of these things kind of happen. My, my reservation for my IP address obviously got reset because I was moving from the Thunderbolt port back to the, the new ethernet port in there. But, um, but everything works. It's great. Works outstandingly. For 266 bucks, I got uh, a new power supply motherboard and graphics card and a 90-day warranty on all three of those parts, even though I only had to pay for one of them. That's not bad. It's, it, you know, charmed life, right? Yeah, no, they tend to do the right thing. I'll have to see how... Um how things worked out with my uh, iPhone, as you recall, I had a battery issue, Dave, and uh, it seemed to re uh, re rear its ugly head. Right, before you hijack, though, um, there there are some things that I learned through this process that I want to share. Go um, when calling the store, the first time I called the store, it says if you want to talk to a technician or genius bar, press one. Well, I did that. I got routed to some nationwide call center. And they didn't have any answers for me. And they actually put me back in touch with the store. But the connection had so much lag, I had to have the store call me back. But it took like 15 minutes to figure that out. So I never, if you have a computer in the Genius Bar and you need to ask them a question about it, do not choose the Genius Bar option. What I started doing was asking for a specialist. But as I learned further and further down the line, the best thing to do, as soon as it says, what are you here for? Say the word manager. The word manager does not get you directly to a manager. You're not wasting a manager's time. You get directly to a specialist. You just saved yourself about 30 seconds worth of navigating and negotiating with the AVR system. So the word manager is the magic one. It gets you right to the person you'd get to normally if you, if you uh, get to a frontline human there. Um, you can check online for your repairs at, at the Genius Bar, and they will tell you. Like on Saturday, um, I actually... Uh, looked online to see if the computer was ready. And it was, I had not gotten an email from them. I had not gotten a phone call, but it did. Um, you know, it said it was finished online. Um, I mentioned there was a warranty uh, extension on that graphics card. They, I, I, I printed that out. They, they mentioned nothing about it. Um, when, when bill time came, I, I had printed out a, the details of that warranty extension. And I had also printed out my original sales um, itemization that showed that I had the graphics card that was, that was listed. As soon as I asked them about it, they're like, Oh, good, good call. Hang on. Let me look. And they showed me that it, 
it actually did not fail the test that would qualify me for that. Yes, the board itself was bad, but it was bad in a different way. And I wasn't really going to complain about spending 260 bucks to do all those three things, but I had to ask, right. And, you know, be your own polite advocate is, um, is the, uh, is kind of the the thing there, you know, they're, they're good people and, uh, and they appreciate it when you are too. One last thing, John, I asked them the trick because the thing that really bothered me about replacing my own power supply in the beginning was getting all the dust off of that stupid screen. So I asked them, I'm like, how do you guys get the dust off? They're like, aha, we have a silicon roller that we roll on the screen and then roll on the, the glass on the backside of the glass. And then at the very last second, we blast it all with compressed air and then quickly put it on. They're like, it's not perfect. It's not perfect from the factory, but that's how they do it. Silicon rollers. So figured I would, uh, I would share that. I learned another valuable lesson, John, but do you have any questions about this one before we, uh, before I, before I share my stupid lesson that I should have learned previously? No, I, I, I think we're good. Okay. Well, I, I had, uh, there's two drives in that machine, right? It's a, a 256 gig SSD and then the one terabyte drive. It's a, it's essentially the same hardware that you get if you got a fusion drive iMac, but it, um, it was, it's pre the 2011 iMac, uh, at least summer of 2011 was pre fusion drive from Apple. So my machine doesn't have a fusion drive. I could hack one in, but I don't want to, uh, because of that, I had partitioned the internal spindle drive. Uh, 250 gigs of that to be a clone, which is great. It clones to that every night. But when there was a problem with the computer and it wouldn't turn on, I had no way of accessing my clone. So I have since learned the, I had, I had time machine backups that I was able to restore from and I worked all week just fine. And I was fine. But, um, but if you're going to bother to do a clone, um, follow my new advice. And that is make sure you clone to an external drive that you could plug into a different computer. It, uh, it will pay off someday. And that's sort of one of those duh moments for me, but you got to learn sometime. Sure. You know what I mean, John? Hello. You find anything fun on Google while I was telling my story? No, I'm chatting with our, uh, with our, uh, peanut gallery here. Um, chat chat with the peanut gallery. You may ask Dave, uh, our chat room, which is at www macgeekab.com slash stream you can not only hear us but you can uh type in our uh, irc based uh rock and chat room here nice which is oh so much fun so i was just uh multitasking because some people were asking me about my wi-fi issues um which is another thing that i still have an issue with but but the other thing i wanted to offer dave so you you may recall i i claimed that i had a or no i did i have a battery issue and i think i still do with my iphone 5s um, I'm going to try something different though. So as, as you recall, I convinced uh, the, the nice people at my local uh, uh, Apple store now in Trumbull, Connecticut, which is very close to me. Oh, that's good. Thank goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Cause before, I mean, I either had to go to Stanford or New Haven or uh, the, there's one up in uh, the, you know, up far North and you know, they're all kind of inconvenient, but Trumbull is, is very close to me. So that's great. And uh, you know, they're very, very nice. Uh, you know, everybody was helpful and they, uh, you know, did the work. So, so my phone was out of warranty for a month and they said, okay, well, you know, mm, all right, we'll replace it instead of charging 80 bucks, which is nice. what they were going to charge me. But then the problem started and, and initially the problem 
I thought, okay, that was it. We nailed it. It was a bad or failing battery. Sure. Because there, there was an issue with the iPhone five and they actually had, as you mentioned, Dave, uh, they sometimes have warranty programs yep. and they did for the five, but not the five S I entered my serial number and it said, no, you don't qualify for a free battery replacement under this program, but it's happening again. Again, uh, my phone gets to, uh, you know, the symptoms, uh, uh, I thought the phone hanging once it's fully charged, if you fully charge it, especially doing a trickle charge. So the phone, We'll be at 100% sometimes for hours before it starts going down. And I, I believe that's in general normal. And you told me that too, right? Yeah. Yeah. But, but the thing is, it's still now, it's doing it again. When it gets to 20%, the phone powers down. And that to me is not normal. But then I looked online and I found some people giving additional advice. They're like, all right, one way to fix a lot of problems with your iPhone um, is to do a restore, you know, from iTunes. You restore basically you know, wipes out everything, reloads the OS and then reloads your apps uh, from your backup and everything's uh, great. Sure. Um, but then some people said, you know what? Uh, sometimes things get so corrupted that what you got to do is a DFU restore, which I did not do. And I believe what that is, is a device firmware upgrade. I think this is a general um, term that's used not only for iPhones, but for lots of devices. Uh, USB devices and that you can put them a mode where you say, okay, by the way, um, get ready to get your firmware reloaded. And I believe that's what this does. In addition to reloading the OS and your apps, it also uh, reflashes or reloads the firmware. And I think it also clears out some registers and other things. Uh, in this case, I'm suspecting maybe the ones that have to do with the battery calibration. So we'll see if that works. So I did a DFU restore update. Um, which you got to, you know, I'll link to an art, the article that I found that does this. And actually, you know, iTunes even recognizes this. It, it's like, Oh, your, your phone's in restore mode. You want me to, to do this? Right. And it's like, yep, sure. Yeah. So we'll see. Otherwise this, you know, uh, most of the repairs, including yours, I, I assume, uh, r- repairs are warranted for 90 days. So that, that's if that correct. doesn't fix it. Yep. then I think I'm going to go back to them and say, okay, guys, you replace the battery. It's still doing this. You know, you were nice to me and you did it for, you didn't charge me now. Uh, I don't know. Is the phone broken? Is it another, is it a bum battery? Because I've heard of people going through multiple batteries, you know, the, the multiple battery replacements or multiple motherboard replacements. Sometimes who knows? So yeah. hope I get this fixed. I mean, it's not, it, it's not a, it's not the end of the world. I mean, I always have access to, you know, either a rechargeable battery pack or, or a power cord to, to charge it. But it's just, you know, kind of upsetting first world problem that the sure. phone dies at 20% rather than 0%. Yeah. <laughs> 1%. Yeah. Huh. That's interesting. Yeah. We'll see what happens. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. It was an interesting article. Once I did some more research that someone said, Hey, psst, you know, that this, that this may solve battery problems. It's happened before. I'm curious. You know? Yeah. I mean, maybe that's kind of like an SMC reset on your Mac. Right. Um, or maybe that's part of what a DFU. I didn't, I didn't think that, a D, I mean, I, because I hadn't thought about it, um, I didn't think that a DFU update did anything different from a restore other than allowing you to do a restore when your phone has no OS on it to begin with. Right. You know, if like if you crater your phone somehow, the DF, DFU mode, which is something you get it into by holding the, the right keys down at startup, um, will let you install firmware onto a phone that otherwise appears, you know, non-responsive. So. Right. Well, I suspect it's not 
just the fact that it's reloading firmer. But I think in addition to that, I think it's clearing out some right. lower level registers, which to me sounds reasonable. Totally. The battery calibration is broken. Doing a firmware thing that also clears out these registers, maybe yet. And actually, I linked to an maybe article. Maybe the trick. Um, yeah. If not, you know, again, it's, you know, first world problem. I mean, right. I, I still get decent battery life out of it. I mean, I think I get, you know, like most people, uh, an iPhone 5 under normal usage, you may get, uh, you know, a day or two before you have to charge it again. Is that is that reasonable? That you seems think? reasonable to me. Yeah. I mean, the six, I think, uh, like you have the six or the six. The plus, six no, plus. you settled on the six, right? No, and I that just has plus. a larger. Yeah. Okay. And that just has a larger battery, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the, I think the iPhone 5 has a. 22 or something milliamp hour battery. So, uh, right. Oh, it is. Okay. Yeah, I think so. All right. Yeah. But, I'm pretty but of sure. Of course, I think the six and the six plus have a larger battery. So you're, you're going to get, yeah, a little bit longer. Hopefully you get, you know, more than a day or two. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I get, uh, I get two days of, of okay. decent usage. Yeah. And if I'm using it like a lot, then it's, I'm down to 30% at night. And so I charge it, you know, on, in one day, but, uh, Okay. That's good. Well, I think you told me that, you know, especially with that, you know, fancy, you know, fancy pants charger that we found there is that you, you charge at night. I do. Yeah. <laughs> and you leave the sound on. No, I, I well, no, you, you, um, it, it, what doesn't matter. You told me that with that yeah. charger. Well, we, we found this charger that claims to shut off when it gets to hundred percent, which it seems to which do. But then if the phone dips, but if the phone dips then to 99 or 98, then I guess the phone buzzes or, or beeps or something. Yeah, the phone right? buzzes or beeps depending on what mode it's in as it goes back on charge. It's just how it works. Yeah. Hey, I want to talk. Uh, I know we have some questions and some tips. Actually, we have some great tips. We have we a tip. Yeah, yes, we have a tip that's, that's I'm really excited about getting it's to. A, it's a secret. It's I know. I know. But we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna pull, yeah. pull the covers off of it. We will. But um, I do want to talk about our first sponsor, which is linda l-y-n-d-a dot com slash m-g-g and uh the folks at linda uh, you've probably heard me talk about this before here uh they make training videos they provide a training resource really that's what it is i mean it's it's they probably have more courses online there than most colleges offer at the entire school right i mean they just have all kinds of stuff and it's fantastic how well produced all of these courses are, and some of them are quite long. Some of them are, you know, maybe an hour long. Uh, when you get a Linda subscription, you have access to all of them. You can, and and when you get this 10 day free trial from us with lynda.com slash MGG, you get access for 10 days to all of them. There's no restrictions on which course you get to, to view. And in addition to it being a video course um, and the video courses can take the form of uh, simply an instructor, uh, you know, lecturing if, if the course makes sense for that, maybe you've got a, a course on, um, I don't know, maybe some business course where you just need to hear someone's opinion on something or someone uh, educating you on something. That's fine. Um, to things like, you know, if you want to learn about GarageBand or Logic Pro or iPhoto or OS 10 or iOS, uh, you see the screens of the app or the OS that, you're being trained on and that's super helpful. If you need to learn QuickBooks or um, uh, you know, anything they've got it, they've got it all. It's uh, it's fantastic. They, they iPhone stuff, they do Android stuff as well. Um, it, it just, 
works. And uh, in addition to that, there's also a transcript of the entire course that kind of runs. It's almost like the sing along with Mitch thing. For those of you that know what I'm talking about, and I'm even too young to know what I'm talking about, but that's okay. Uh, <laughs> kind of highlights the words as it goes through. If you want to look at that, you can, you can uh, hide that so that it's not distracting, obviously, but you've got the transcript. You also have uh, a, a, you know, the course outline. And what's cool is the course, it, it, all the courses, even the long ones are broken up into sections and you can have it just, roll from one section to the next, or you can have it auto stop at the end of a section. So, you know, maybe you're learning a new piece of software and you want to stop and say, Oh, let me play a little bit. Okay. Got it. Now I want to move on. And so you can go at your own pace. Uh, really excellent stuff. They've got, uh, you know, iOS eight training, um, mobile office training, how to kind of pull all that together and make it work. If you want to learn swift, you can learn Swift online from Simon Allardyce, the uh, the guy I took that Swift class from, the same guy that I took it from at Mac Tech. You can do it for free, lynda.com slash MGG. So go ahead, start your, uh, your 2015 off right, learn something new, and have fun while you're doing it. And, you know, they've got their apps will stream to uh, I, your iOS devices too, so you can have your iPad next to you while you're learning on your Mac and experimenting there and you've got the course right there on your ipad uh it's awesome so check it out lynda.com slash mgg and uh and make sure you thank them for uh for sponsoring the show too and for for working with us to get you this 10 days free so lynda.com slash mgg thanks so much all right john uh we'll, we'll go we'll go mostly in order here uh, you know when <laughs> I mentioned that I have two, essentially two bootable drives inside my, my iMac. And that, that sort of threw the technicians for a loop too. And when I got it back, um, it was booting from the clone. And the reason was, uh, not only had I reset the PRAM, but they had reset the PRAM. They had replaced the motherboard. So what that meant was the computer didn't know what disk to boot from. So it booted from the first one that it finds, which for whatever reason in that computer, is the spindle drive. And one thing that's important to remember is make sure your Mac has a startup disk set. Uh, your Mac, you can, you can actually have your Mac set with no startup disk and that's not necessarily a good thing. And, uh, and Edward kind of went through an, an issue and had, had a, had a similar problem. Uh, and you set your startup disk and system preferences, startup disk. It's very straightforward. If you have a startup disk set to a disk that is not connected to your Mac, you will see a gray screen on boot for a long time. I believe it's 45 seconds before your Mac will say, all right, that disk isn't going to come online. I'm going to just go look for whatever's there uh, and then start up. So if you if you see that on your Mac, don't fret. It's just that your startup disk isn't set uh, or sorry that your startup disk is set, but to something that you're. Uh, computer can't find right right so so are you trying to say that this is stored in your pram mm -hmm. i think you just said that i okay. did just yeah. want to make sure yeah because i think it leads to an interesting point that edward brought up and that he uh you know he, he brought up to us he's like you know i recently did a major upgrade to my machine and happened to disconnect the battery well what does that do with newer machines now for older machines that have a cmos battery like my old trusty still in pieces Mac actually Pro early i think Nate all computers has have a cmos a battery. battery laptops no. don't but um no. 
but um, my iMac did. You're correct. No, the new yeah. the newer Mac laptops do not. Right. But uh, but desktop machines, the older do. ones like mine. Yeah. yeah. Correct. Right. And and you've replaced it. Yeah. Mm. The, the little three point six volt uh, mm-hmm. little battery there. But um, at some point they abandoned that because my early uh, my MacBook. Pro early 2008 absolutely had one which at one point failed and usually you know it fails or you'll know that your PRAM has lost whatever it it knew because when your computer starts up typically the first thing it'll say is uh dude it's not 1970 which is the default I guess epoch um is the is the default time if if it doesn't have a, a time source it quickly fixes itself but actually I learned this when I got my you know when I upgraded my used new machine but, but that, hey, you know, I just want to drive replacement. I just want to there's a disconnect here because Edward's problem was not that his PRAM got reset. In fact, Edward's problem was that his PRAM was not reset and therefore his computer was looking for a right. drive that wasn't connected and forcing him to wait the 45 right. seconds. So the 45 seconds means you have a startup disk set, but it can't find it. That's that. That's where that is. If you don't have it set, it's just it's actually going to boot quite quickly just from whatever drive it finds. Right. Yeah. And I think I've also seen sometimes it'll try to do a net boot, which a lot of times most people don't have that set up, which is a way to boot a drive over the network. I think I've had the, it may not do that anymore. I know, I know there was an option in the past, so you can, yeah, I, it, I mean, it will like I watched them at the store at the Apple store, do a net boot on my iMac. They just plugged it into ethernet. Oh, really? held, right. Yeah. They held down the option key and that's how they did some kind of uh, very uh, quick diagnostics right out there, it, you know, when I was checking the computer in the first time was, uh, was they did a couple of net booted diagnostics, but. Okay. Yeah. So I think the default behavior, if things have been wiped or maybe it's, it's always, uh, unless a drive is set that I think most machines will try to do a net boot, which is they, they go on the network and they say, Hey, anybody bootable out here? And, right. Uh, right. I, I think most, most people have never encountered that. You you only find that I think in a you know support or enterprise environment. But uh, I would agree. Yeah. So just remember to set a startup disk. Good tips. Thank you, Edward, uh, for the for the dialogue that got us there. All right, John, you want to take Sean for us here? I think I'll take Sean. I'm not, I'm not sure where this is going to go, but um, so Sean writes in and he says, "Hi, Dave, John, and Pilot Pete." to say hi to pilot p2 wherever he may be piloting um and he says i've been listening to recent podcasts where you talk about battery care i have always heard and have lived by running a rechargeable battery could be a laptop ios device battery for a drill etc oh interesting um down to zero and then charging it up again however it seems that you are not suggesting this rather than not wait until the battery is fully discharged to charge. Am I correct in this? If so, is this true for all types of rechargeable batteries? All right. So number one, I think we want to clarify here and that the, the battery technology we're going to be talking about is lithium ion, which I believe is pretty much the standard rechargeable battery technology in all rechargeable battery devices, whether they be a drill or a computer or an iPhone. Right, Dave? Yeah, I've still got some drills that are NICAD, but, you know. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then you have different issues, and maybe you have some lead-acid batteries around. I don't know. Uh, right? I might. Yeah, I don't know. Who knows what I have, well, I think those are. No, I think the, the, those are probably in your car, right? Yes. Um, <laughs> yes, that's right. Yes, I do. Yeah. Um, but basically, I said to Sean, uh, and I'd like your commentary, Dave. You know, I, I did some research on this, but 
I think what you're doing, what I said is I think what you're doing is best practice, uh, best practice being charge all the way up, including a trickle charge and then run it all the way down. Um, I would say on occasion, that's a good thing to do. Maybe once a month, but uh, I, I, think- I would say, and, and the thing is I found something at Ars Technica, which would, which would argue that always running a battery all the way up and always running it all the way down is probably not the best strategy in that you, you can, you don't have to in that their advice. And I've stuck to this as of late and it hasn't seemed to have any negative side effects is uh, when I can, and and not too frequently, I will run all the way up to hundred percent and all the way down. But if it's close to, being fully charged or it's close to being fully discharged. I will let it go at that. Um, and again, I, I found, I found numerous articles that suggested uh, again, they're saying don't always go all the way up and don't always go all the way down because if you do that, that may not be the best thing. So that, that that's all I'm going to say is the, the latest research seems to indicate what I say is, is not entirely insane. It's not insane. I, I think it's, but I, I, but I want your input. I mean, it, it, do you, do you believe that, going all the way up and all the way down constantly is, is best practice all the time. No, my, my religion says okay. that you okay. should never with lithium ion stuff, especially uh, running it all the way down just to charge it all the way back up uh, is unhelpful at best. Okay. And okay. at worst, if you run a battery all the way down and for whatever reason, have to leave it or forget and leave it there mm-hmm. for too long, that battery will never come back to life. Um, and that's true of your phone battery. That's true of your, your computer battery, right? I mean, that, that this is a problem with lithium ions and based on what we've heard from kind of anecdotally from all of you, as well as what the, uh, what Jeff Lynch and the folks who, uh, and his, he and his partner who make fruit juice um, have, have told us, the the running up and down thing is not necessary with with the kind of the newer batteries. So I don't follow that at all. I don't know that I have ever mm-hmm. intentionally run my battery all the way down and all the way back up. Um, and and my battery runs great. It's actually better than it ever has been in my uh, and my now four year, almost well three and a half year old um, MacBook Air. So I I don't think it's a bad thing if you happen to do it, but I certainly wouldn't. I don't advise going out of your way and doing it. But again, this is we're bordering on, you know, holy wars here. Right. I mean, this is <laughs> right. Well, I mean, it's you know, we're talking about something very esoteric that that can't really be proven. There's there's not enough evidence to say running it down and up once a month is absolutely the best thing for you. And there's not enough evidence to say it's the worst thing for you. Um, it's basically unnecessary is what it comes out to be. So. Um, that the, you know, the, the real rule that I try to follow is keep the, and, and I know we, 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 uh, we leave neutrons out of this, John, but keep the electrons moving, um, because that, you know, either charging or discharging, but leaving it on charge all the time is absolutely the worst thing for it. And I, I don't think we disagree on that or, or we could and well, have fun with it. What about, you know, Dave, you're, 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 you're excluding the protons, I mean, they're, they're, they're a pretty positive bunch and you're not including the protons in this either. No. Well, like I said, Why in, is that? the last time we talked about this, neutrons, they have their own dance <laughs> and protons have a cool name. 
So, you know, it's the electrons that we uh, try to give a little, uh, you know, we give them a little love. All right. We're not even going to get subatomic here because then it just gets crazy. Quark. Right. Yeah. Oh, some of the names of them. I, I still remember uh, in my physics days, uh, beauties and yeah, no, don't go there. Are we, are we getting close to talking about bosons, right? We're, we're, we're there. We're near bosons? there. Right? No. What what is that? Boson, B O S O N. What what is the term? The uh, the the I forgot the 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 correct term there. It includes bosons, but what what's the um uh, Oh, dude, I don't know. Yeah. I I, I don't know where we're going with this actually. We're we're at the end of my uh, my schooling knowledge. Fermions. Oh, fermions. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'll give you that. I know there was something going on for a while about bosons. Well, the Higgs boson was discovered term. a couple of years ago. Higgs boson, that's it. The right. Higgs boson. Right. Now, who's Higgs? I mean, what, 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 what did he contribute to this? All right. Well, he theorized Enough that, of that. that that's, a boson that's existed, but couldn't prove it. And then somebody did. But uh, Isn't that like Schrodinger's cat? It's, like- it's Schrodinger's boson <laughs> is what it is. Schrodinger's- <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right. Well, uh, that's all right. awesome. <laughs> So, yeah. All right. So, so we got the, all right. So the physics geeks are going to shake their fist and write in angry letters to us because we just totally botched that. We, we don't know what we're talking about there, but it's fun to throw around the terminology and pretend that we do. But in that case, maybe we should go to, um, maybe we should go to the next question there. Yeah. What, go. What do you think? Dave? Yeah. Oh no, I definitely, I agree. Yeah. 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 All right. In this case, we're going to go to Alan. You think? Yeah. Go. Alan's got a good one. And this is, you know, kind of like the last question, uh, kind of pure speculation. And we have no idea what's going on here, but mm-hmm. all right. So hi, Dave and John. I have a head scratcher that I've been trying to figure out for a few days to no avail. I recently purchased an Inatech TPS reports parentheses. I, I don't understand that reference. I know what a TPS report is, or at least the cover sheet, but from the office. Right. So oh, yeah, no, well, some I, I office space. About, but, uh, Sorry, office space. But I, I don't understand why Inatech is is uh, related to them. Isn't that the name of the company? I'm sorry. I think oh, that was the name really? of the company. It was? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I have to watch it again. Yeah. All right. So, um, but basically he said he got a new enclosure, uh, Inatech brand USB 3.0, two and a half inch hard drive enclosure as an early Christmas gift to myself. I put a one terabyte Seagate drive in it to use as my new time machine backup. Outstanding as I had recently converted my Mac mini to a fusion drive and now need more time machine space. The problem is this. When I plug the drive into my Mac mini, my Wi-Fi connection immediately slows. I'm not near my router. So an RJ 45 connection is out. Then the connection speed continues to slow. And eventually after about 20 or 30 minutes, the Mac mini completely drops the Wi-Fi connection. It can't even see the SSID, which is the name of the base station. So, I can connect to my guest network and get an IP address from the router, but the computer still won't connect to any web pages, including the router's internal configuration page. I can ping just fine, be it the home IP, my router, or externally, such as Google, um, such as Google, period. (laughs) Network diagnostics will also tell me my internet connection is fine. Unmounting the volume doesn't help. However, the second I physically disconnect the drive's USB cable from the computer, all is well. I have no clue how this could be happening. I'm not sure there's any fix other than not using the drive. 
<laughs> but any insight as to how a USB cable and or drive enclosure could, could muck about with the airport card? Question mark. Merry Christmas and thanks for all you do. Well, that's you're welcome, weird. Alan. So, all right. It's weird. And the, the only thing I got to say, Dave, is based on my training as a kind of software, kind of hardware type of guy. Um, it sounds like a power issue. Okay. Okay. I'll, I, I'll walk down that path with you. Yeah, let's go. In that, in that when you plug in the drive, when you plug in, and especially, you, well, any drive, and I looked at this enclosure, and as far as I can tell, Dave, this enclosure is bus-powered. Okay, all right. So the thing is, Further there are drive enclosures. The right, so there, there are enclosures that are bus-powered, which means the computer and the bus, in this case USB 3, is powering the enclosure. In other cases, an enclosure will be self-powered, in which case it's drawing less current from the computer. So the fact that he's plugging that in and all of a sudden everything kind of spirals downward would indicate to me that maybe there's a power issue within the computer itself. And this is not unheard of, Dave. Nope. Actually, you know, that, that was speculated with your situation there. So to me, it sounds like it may be a power issue. Now, how could you well, and the, and the airport this is a power? And the airport card, the internal airport card, I believe is connected to the USB bus. So that actually may either support uh, the, um, I believe it is. I believe, I, I think if you look at the I, tree, it's there. I don't know no. the specific computer. Um, on the, if we're talking to Mac mini, I, I thought of this, believe it or not, Dave, I thought yeah. of this and I looked in, in system pro uh, system information. Yeah. All right. We're going to, we're going to dive and then we're going to rise again here, but how do you get to system information? So how do you get there? Well, one way is you click on the Apple menu, hold down option and you will see system information when it comes up and I'm doing this live folks, because yeah, I'm there with you. You know, this is exciting and I do not see the, yeah, you're uh, right. At least on my Mac mini, my current Mac mini, I do not. uh, No, I thought of that. Bluetooth is there, but I still think it's uh, Right. Correct. Right. Right. So I still think it's a power issue. Uh, uh, if I saw the airport, so the airport card is on a different bus. Okay. But it's not to say that it's not no, that, a power issue. I'm not sure what bus it's on. It, it, it's on some sort of, and there are several types of buses, you know, as, as I indicated here, the things you'll see a lot of devices uh, hooked on the USB. Right. Um, in this case, though, the airport card doesn't seem to be one of them, though it could still be a power issue. No, that it's actually good right. that the airport's not on one of them because that could, it could be a USB issue, but if it's not now it's a power issue, right? I'm, I'm back to it. This is, this is, this helps support your case. So that's good. Right. So the first thing I said is, um, you know, the thing is, if it's a power issue, you can determine the amount of power that something is drawing or should be drawing in some, and how much it wants and how much your computer could supply. How do you do this? Well, you go to what I just mentioned here. You go to the system information, hardware, USB. When you see a device such as your enclosure, and it should be pretty clear what it is. It may be named, you know, uh, in a tech, uh, ICA tech, uh, whoever these guys are. Um, and you'll see that. And when you see that and you click on the device itself, you will see a couple of parameters. One you will see is um, uh, current offered and i think current drawn so you see some current figures there 
Uh, USB 3 should provide a USB 3 is pretty beefy, actually, compared to USB 2 and others. USB 3 should provide you up to 900 milliamps. Um, so my first so the first thing I offered, we haven't heard back yet, was what do you see for how much power is available and how much is the device drawing? If it's approaching the maximum, then maybe the device is kind of wimpy. Well, but here's the thing. Um, if it because you you're yeah. the one that told me that devices lie. Right. So they will report to the system that they're going to draw sometimes draw less power than they actually draw. And the system Correct. has no way of knowing, no way of showing you what it's actually drawing if the device is lying. So for that reason, I spent my twelve dollars and I bought a USB to USB three power meter and you plug it in in line um, between, you know, it, you plug one end into your USB port and then you plug the device in and it will show you what kind of power that, uh, that device is actually drawing. And that's super helpful. It right. has helped me in situations like this. Very good. Yep. Um, so the device could be marginal, could be malfunctioning. And yeah, as they've said, as far as I know, the, the, the current that it reports it's drawing is burnt into the firmware. Uh, of the device. Right. It's not actually measuring the actual current. Well, I'm going to get to that in a moment. So, <laughs> but yeah, good point. You may want to get a, a USB power meter and, and see what's up with that. It's you know, totally sure it's USB three compatible, totally helpful, not just for this, but also for telling how, how much your, um, your iPhone, or your iPad is drawing on a charge, like all that stuff. It's, I've, I've used it countless times. It's like having one of those UV lights, John, you know, you got me hooked on having one of those. Now I can't possibly imagine not having a UV light around the house, like a, Aren't like they a little awesome? flashlight. It's awesome. Right? I'm going to say another tangent and then we'll come back here. You know, we actually had someone warn us about uh, direct exposure to UV though. I think for, for these little rinky dink flashlights, I, I, I think that's probably not a concern. I think this was coming from someone that, yeah. actually uses these in like a, in, in a professional laboratory environment. In which That's case, correct. Yeah. yeah. You, you don't want to, uh, you don't want to constantly expose yourself to high powered ultraviolet rays. That, no. That's bad for you. That's right. It's like having a black light <laughs> yeah, though for, in a, in a haunted house. I mean, it's not going to give you cancer. I don't think so. I hope not. Let's hope. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So, and to go to the next level. So number one, as you pointed out, Dave, the device could be lying. It could say, well, I only need this much power, but it's really drawing much more. So then you need one of these USB power monitors to figure that out. And that, that could be throwing everything out of whack. If it's drawing more power than the computer uh, is used to, then these wacky things could happen. Yeah, Cause if, if it's like your airport, if it asks to draw more than the computer wants to deliver, then the computer will just say no. Right. But if it asks to draw a normal amount and then actually draws too much, that's where you can run into problems. So. All right. Moving, moving on thing. We're, we're stuck in a right. loop here. So moving yeah. on, how can you tell, how can you tell how much power is being drawn? Well, there are a number of tools here. And one of my favorites, Dave, um, is iStat menus. Um, that's one. You got to pay a few bucks for it. I think it's well worth it, Dave. And it shows you all sorts of power. Fit. So the thing is, all all Mac computers have numerous touch points where they tell you how much power is being consumed because the computer has to monitor this because if things uh, get out of control, it has to turn off or else it's going to uh, burn your house down. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> or have a spectacular failure. So iStat menus is one. Another is uh, something called uh, HW monitor, which is part of something called HW sensors. We will link to that. And that's another tool that will tell you about power consumption. 
So you may want to plug this drive in and just see, do, do any of these figures uh, look out of whack? And I, I think actually HW sensors actually shows total power consumption, which you may want to see if it's more than your computer is equipped to do. And if it is, then. Oops, All right, so I got I have another. I'm going to get us out of this loop because we've talked about way too many ways to determine oh, power. Done. No, no, we're done. So here's the thing. You can the, the best way to test this would be to get a powered USB hub, plug it into your computer and plug oh, yes. the drive into that hub. And this way, in theory, if the drive is going to draw too much power from something, it's going to draw it from the hub and not your computer. So that's going to answer your question as to whether or not this is a power issue, right? That's that really is the easiest way uh, to isolate this out and yet still have the drive connected. If it does still do that, then I would recommend backing up the data off the drive, format the drive, connect it empty to the computer. See if that causes it. Now it might've been either the format of the drive caused the finder to like spiral. Right. I mean, it, you know, there's lots oh. of different things it could be. Oh, oh, come on, man, dude, I've seen it where you've got me? like a bad flash drive total, a, a, a flash drive formatted the wrong way. And it causes, I haven't seen oh, it cause airport okay. problems, but I've seen it cause like cause the finder to right. loop and all that stuff. So that, but that's what you want to do. Right. You want to start isolating. So thank this. you for mentioning the USB hub. That's something that I had in my response, but didn't mention. And yep. finally, to wrap it up, power issues. One thing on any Mac, um, reset your system management control. Oh, definitely. Because a lot of times if there are power issues. Um, SMC reset can resolve them. Yeah. And that about wraps this up. Yeah. That's a good uh, SMC reset. That's a good idea. That's excellent. All right. Now, John, I'm, I'm excited. Because Paul uh, <laughs> sent us something that I thought was it's not a possible. It's, a secret. it's not really a secret, though, right? It, I'm not saving this for cool stuff found. It kind of is cool stuff found, but not really. He said, um, "Do you ever have you ever wanted to see the uh, all the available Wi-Fi networks around you and and their uh, their relative signal strength and and what channels they're on and all of that? Because Androids." Uh, Android devices can run third-party apps and that can look at this data, but third-party apps on iOS cannot. And, and it sucks because well, that's you a know, private API. You're not allowed to access that because that's a private API. Apple makes that pretty clear, right? They do. And what sucks is then if you want to look around and see what channels like your neighbors are using, you have to use your MacBook pro and walk around your house or worse, your iMac and walk around your house with like a big long extension cord that's oh, yeah. and run iStumbler, right? And iStumbler is great. But like Alf can't build iStumbler for iOS. Actually, he let's be honest, Alf, I'm sure, has built iStumbler for iOS. He just can't sell it or give it to anyone because, as you said, it uses a private API. But you know darn well he has built iStumbler for iOS. I, and I, I'd say that not because he told us he has, but because Alf knows what he's doing and he used to work at Apple. And so it stands to reason. Well, it may just be that what Alf built or someone else built is already on your iPhone. If you have Apple's airport utility application on your iOS device, you can check the Wi-Fi, all of the Wi-Fi in your area. The first thing you do is install the app. It's free. It's from the App Store, but it's obviously an Apple app, so it gets to do some things that other people can't. Once it's there, go into the settings app, not into the airport utility app. Go into the settings app and go to airport utility and turn on Wi-Fi scanner. Once you've done that, then you launch the airport utility app and up in the upper right hand corner, 
will be a little thing that says it's in blue. It says Wi-Fi scan. Tap that and then hit right in the same spot. Hit the scan button. It will start showing you a list of all of the different access points it finds. Their signal strength, the channel that they're on, everything. It's outstanding. It, now, listen, it's not the UI I would like. If third-party developers had access to this, they would make a much prettier uh, layout of it. And, you know, you could have it in six different ways. But, um, but this is, I mean, it's way better than nothing. So, uh, so thank you, Paul, for sharing. Yeah. That. Super excited about this. Oh, so what you mean to tell me is that because Apple is writing this, they can access the private APIs, but other people can't. That's is ex- that what we're getting at here? That's exactly what I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah, yeah like they get no. to bend the rules. Yeah. And I, I was shocked to find this. Yeah. Again, well, Apple can do what they, you know. Yeah, they, Paul, they, Paul didn't they know about it, it either. So he, um, said, he said somebody from Apple showed him, actually. We'll, we'll leave it at that. But, uh, but yeah. It's outstanding. Yeah, but it's not a secret. So the thing is, you should no. methodically go through every one of your app, uh, every one of your apps in, in settings and look for secrets. And so I'm going to charge all of our listeners to do that and tell us about anything cool that they find. That's a great idea. <laughs> That's Seriously, man. I, I may do that. I may do that as well. If I have a couple of days to, to you know, waste. Yeah. Why not waste? Because, hey, it's not you don't know what you find, but. It's amazing. I mean, it's, it's hidden in plain sight. It's right there. Right. It's, it's not hidden. Been there. It's just nobody told us about it. Well, Paul did. So thanks, Paul. That's good. It's crazy. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Um, all right. Let's go to Larry. This is interesting. Larry says, uh, I've had a longstanding problem and I have contacted both Apple and Verizon, each of whom point the fingers at each other. I've come to you as a referee. I am in lovely Irvine, California. I step outside of my door and wonder where the closest bagel shop is. I open Safari out of habit rather than preference and type in bagel into the URL slash search bar at the top. Safari then displays the closest five results in San Diego, 80 miles away. I've already done the litany of resets, network settings, location and privacy, location services allowed, blah, blah, blah. So I challenge you guys to go deep on this. By the way, one time when I called tech support, it was happening to them as well. But I don't remember if that was Apple's or Verizon's tech support. Any ideas? So I do have an idea. Location is determined using a variety of factors. And depending on the granularity needed by the app in question, you may get it's going to use different sources for location. If you're running a GPS app, it's actually going to light up the GPS circuit on your phone because it knows you want down to the, you know, down to the foot, if possible, you know, where you are. But if you're just looking for a bagel shop, it's actually going to try to do as little as it can to figure out your location because there's no reason to expend all the power and time to light up the GPS circuit uh, that would be required to, to do that. So there are, in addition to it's it, the actual GPS receiver in the phone, the phone also uh, triangulates its location from cell towers. That's one way. And then the, the cheapest of all ways is by looking at the local Wi-Fi hotspots. And com- now you don't have to be connected to them. It just needs to see them, which we've just proven your phone can. Uh, and look their MAC addresses, which are advertised publicly up in a database 
Uh, Skyhook is a database that exists and you can actually plug your own uh, hotspot into that data database at Skyhook wireless. We'll put a, a link in the show notes there. Um, there are other databases. I don't, I think Apple, Apple used to use Skyhook, but it doesn't matter whatever. Well, maybe it doesn't matter, but uh, whichever one they use, it's possible. Like if I take my router, I have registered all my routers. I have three of them uh, or all my access points, I should say in, uh, in Skyhook. If I took my router and brought it to John's house, it's totally possible that a phone that saw that might think it was in Durham, New Hampshire. I've seen this problem in different cities. Uh, there was a time when I was in San Francisco and it thought I was in Austin uh, because the first time I launched one of my um, uh, before the first time I launched my little clear uh, 4G hotspot was in Austin. And for whatever reason, it logged that in some database somewhere. And so now anytime I'm connected to that, I think I'm in Austin. So it's possible that you or a neighbor lived in San Diego and had this, uh, had, you know, registered the router or it got registered for you because Google drives their trucks around and registers and Skyhook does the same thing. So mm. somebody may have registered that and, and it's just wrong and has yet to be corrected. That, that would be my, my, my best thought there. The question is, does it happen when you go a mile away? That's all I got. I got nothing else. Um, what's curious to me is that, yeah, so we're, we're talking about this general service called location services. What, what, what is curious to me is, is this happening? Uh, I'm wondering if what's happening is because maybe wherever you happen to be is not within range of enough, um, satellites to give you a, a good GPS read. So it backs off and says, well, yeah, I can't see because I think typically most devices have to see three GPS satellites before they're convinced that what they're getting is, is, uh, well, reasonable. The, yeah. But the iPhone only has, to my knowledge, only has one GPS receiver in it. So it's never going to see more than one. Satellite no, I understand at that. Time. What I'm saying is that, uh, yes, but, uh, again, from what I've seen, uh, like when I had a GPS, you know, for driving, it has to see three satellites before it says, yeah, but okay, what I see, you're misunderstanding the iPhone literally only sees one at a time that it, the GPS circuit in it is, is weak in that regard, right? It, it will not see more than one because it can't it, like the GPS unit that you would have had in your so you're car saying the, has, has multiple. So you're saying, so you're saying the iPhone only sees one GPS satellite at a time. Correct. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Which is why it uses assisted assisted GPS with self triangulation and all of that. Is that not right? I I would have sworn it only saw one at a time. And that's how Apple explained it. But if I'm, I mean, if I'm wrong on that, I'm wrong. All right. We'll look into it. My, my understanding was that a device has to can see, has to have, three satellites visible before it's convinced that a GPS uh, reading is accurate. Otherwise it's not. We'll look into it. Yeah. Or if somebody knows, Hey, let us know. But, but I'm wondering if for whatever reason, the GPS reading is indicated as not being accurate, then it falls back to the uh, less accurate Wi-Fi and says, eh, yeah, right, but I, well, in you know, this case, enough. my guess is it's not even lighting up. However many GPS satellites it could see. My guess is it's not lighting up any of them. 
my guess is it's doing the, okay. the cheapest thing power-wise. And where it's right? falling back. Yeah, exactly. And where brothers saying, I don't know, it's like, all right, well, we got Wi-Fi. Okay, you know. <laughs> right. Okay. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. It takes the cheapest one power-wise and goes with it. But yeah, no, I, this is something I want to research because it you might be, it doesn't make sense that a GPS unit could know where it was with only one. Right. I mean, it, it, how, how would it possibly know where it was if it could only see one satellite? It, it's too big of a, an area. It, it would need to see, like you said, three to narrow it down. So maybe the, maybe the Mac, sorry, maybe the uh, iPhone sees three. I know it was limited. Apple explained that it was limited and it had, um, I thought they had said that it was one. I could be misremembering from, from WWE. I just remember that it was, it was very fun when I used to have a Garmin or I still have it, but I don't use it because, well, number one, it was a very nice GPS device. I, I think I, I abandoned them when they decided to send me an email saying, Hey, you want a new map? That'll be 200 bucks. And it's like, dude, I already paid like, you know, a couple hundred bucks for this device already. You want to charge me for a map update? Oh yeah. Screw you. Right. But the, the fun part was that it would have a mode that would show uh, graphically. Uh, if you, I think it was like a, you know, buried in one of the menus. It would show you all the satellites it was talking to. Right. And until it could get a lock on three satellites, it wouldn't work. Totally. I think that's just a general practice that, you know, I, I got to see more than one in order for me to, to believe what I'm telling you. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Okay. And we're getting some chatter in our chat room that, 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 oh, well, there's another thing. There's something called a GPS, which I think is assisted GPS. And I think that's what you were talking about. Right. Right. Yeah. It uses cell towers and it uses everything right. You know, to, to get you there as quickly as possible. But yeah, I'd like, I'd like to know that now I'm, now I'm, uh, I'm scratching. My I head. personally have never had a location problem, but. Uh, like you, Dave, we're in a fairly major city metro type area. Irvine, California is pretty major. I mean, it's it's more major than either of us. Yeah. I mean, I mean, he may be in the the sticks of Irvine. I mean, I I suppose there are the sticks in Irvine or maybe not. I don't know. I don't know. I spent some time in Irvine. I don't know that. I mean, I I don't think there's any, any unpopulated areas, but, but maybe. Maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> My guess is it's a Wi-Fi thing. All right, Michael. Uh, so we will, if you know more about this GPS stuff and, and exactly what the iPhone's doing, please let us know. I'd like to make sure, but not only we get that right, but, uh, but that we inform you folks correctly. And, uh, and with that, we will move on to, to Michael. Excellent question. He says, um, uh, do you guys know how I can make iTunes extras for my home movies? I'm also, I'm thinking of maybe digitizing my own friends and family analog video and thought it would be nice to add some iTunes extras. And what he's talking about with iTunes extras are the, uh, the, the little interactive things that sometimes you can get when you download a, uh, a movie from iTunes. So I took a look and, and dug in and it seems that iTunes extras uh, are a format, essentially kind of like a, a web archive, um, XML-ish, that describes what to do with all these extra resources and how to do it, um, and which is great. It's not entirely helpful, but at least it tells us the path to go down. Um, there is a PDF that Apple publishes called 
the iTunes extras package specification that tells you exactly all of this stuff. And if you want to read whatever 40 pages it is, that's fine too. It's pretty gory. Um, but there's some good stuff there. Uh, digging a little deeper though, I found an app, uh, at macOS 10 automation.com slash services slash iTunes extra. And it is called create an iTunes photo extra. And it is a nice graphical interface for creating this uh, interactive photo that would start at the beginning of your, uh, of your movie. So we will put links to all of that in the show notes and hopefully that helps. I didn't realize that these were things that uh, when I started researching, I kind of assumed it was, you know, Apple did this on their own and, and told no one else how to do it. But that in fact is not the case at all. So, uh, so you too can create them. And in fact, with this little app, you can create them fairly easily. So there you go. That's what I got. Should we go to Francis here, John? Blazing through these here. Settle. So, so lighten up Francis. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Francis has to lighten up. Right. Um, Beavis has to settle down. Reference. That's right. Yeah. No, it's a, yes, it's a stripes reference. It. Yeah, that's right. It's one of my favorite things to say to the kids when they get all crazy. I mean, no offense, Francis, <laughs> just the crazy psycho guy. And uh, yeah, anyway, uh, Francis writes, I have a simple question. Currently, I have ripped all my CDs and other things like training videos I bought from Mac Pro Video and Groove 3 onto a hard drive on my Mac running through iTunes. My monitors connected to my Mac are small active studio monitors I use for making music through Logic Pro, so they sound quite good for listening to audio and podcasts. However, I have even nicer speakers in my room, which hardly get a workout these days except to watch TV. What I'd like to do is listen to what's in iTunes through my much larger speakers. Those speakers are connected to a Yamaha receiver, which has a few HDMI inputs and, apparently a Bluetooth receiver apart from connecting a cable from my Mac to the receiver and trying not to trip over it all the time. Is there a Wi-Fi, Bluetooth or other solution to this that I can use uh, to listen to, through my better speakers? So yeah, if, um, if your receiver or amplifier in this case, I mean, it's both, but uh, if your amplifier has Bluetooth uh, capability in it already, you should be able to pair your Mac with it. You, you probably will, need to put your receiver into Bluetooth pairing mode, then that's going to require looking in the manual and, and seeing exactly what steps you take to put it into discovery mode. And once it's discoverable, you open up system preferences on your Mac, you go to Bluetooth and, uh, and in theory it will appear. And then you kind of go through the pairing process and, uh, and it will connect as an audio device. Once it's connected, you can then choose it uh, in uh, again, system preferences Go to sound and choose it as the output device. If, if, uh, I don't know. It was a little weird hiccup. I should stop messing around with sound system preferences while I'm uh, doing the podcast here. You can still hear me, right, John? Hello? Hello. Yeah, all right, great. Um, oh, hi, Dave. Yeah, hi. So, uh, thanks. <laughs> um, if you don't want to mess around in sound system preferences, though, you can, and if you have the volume in the menu bar, you can option click on the volume and you will see you get a list of output devices and input devices. And there's a checkbox by the one that's chosen. So you would choose your Yamaha receiver because that's what you, you're using. And, uh, and then it would just send the sound there. You could also do this with an airport express. Um, the airport express 
adds uh, because it does it over Wi-Fi. You would you would uh, plug your Airport Express then into one of the open input channels on your Yamaha receiver, and that's totally doable. The um, the the digital audio converter in the Airport Express is okay. Uh, it's adequate for probably 99, maybe 90% of the folks out there. If you have nice speakers and you're picky about this stuff, though, you may not be entirely pleased with the quality you get from by going through the Airport Express. It all depends on what your source material is. Uh, with that in mind, I'll, I'll rewind back a little bit to, uh, I believe, show 532 when I mentioned the audio engine B1. That is a Bluetooth receiver that... Um, that uh, you could you would then connect to your Yamaha receiver. And in your case, your Yamaha receiver probably has a decent uh, codec in it. So, or uh, sorry, not a decent codec, a, dis- a, a decent converter in it. So you, you're probably okay. But if you didn't have that, you could use the Audio Engine B1. And that's got a very nice uh, uh, DAC in it to digital audio, digital and yeah, digital audio converter or uh, anal- digital to analog converter rather um, to uh, to get the signal back to your receiver. So any one of those would work, but it sounds like you've already you probably already own the hardware inside your Yamaha receiver to do this. So uh, so and it yeah, it would it should work great. And and you probably get some really nice sound out of it. That's uh, that's my thought. It's um, the it, the one thing I will mention about USB audio, and I kind of alluded to this in 532. Sorry, not USB Bluetooth audio is there is a a standard called aptX that effectively gets close to sending CD quality audio over Bluetooth. Um, the iPhone does not support it, but the Mac does. And like I said, my 2007 iMac here in the studio does so chances are whatever Mac you're using will support that. And that that'll send really high quality stuff. You need the receiver needs to, uh, to support it. The B one does. I don't know about your Yamaha receiver, but, um, but you can see it in the, uh, in the Bluetooth menu in the, in the menu bar, whether it's connected using, um, using aptX. And if it is, then you know, it's sending high quality audio over. So there you go. That's what I got, John. What do you got? It's good. It is I'm, good. I'm glad you have that, Dave. I know. I'm annoyed. Bluetooth annoys me. Why? For the most part. And that the Bluetooth devices that I have don't connect to my phone on a reliable basis. I just don't get it. Seriously. What? I got what? this iFit thing, and every now and then I got to cycle power on it, and they say, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, maybe a thing with the phone. So if it doesn't sync, then you should turn the sync on and off on the device. Blah, blah, and blah. Same with the tracker device I have, you know, this uh, location device. Uh, another thing, it all seems to be centered around the iPhone. Now, I don't know if it's huh. iPhone Bluetooth or the device uh, implementation or maybe a little of both. Yeah. But um, I've never been very happy. On the other hand, you know, the audio solutions that I have that uh, whether it be my Heos or my uh, Airport uh, Express. Uh, Neither which of which are, are Bluetooth. Wi-Fi, right, right. Yeah, right. No. No, they're not. No, they're Wi-Fi. Right. And they work you, you on said it for Bluetooth. You. No, I'm I saying, said I said neither, saying, neither of which are Bluetooth. Ah, right. Okay. Sorry, missed that part. Yeah. But no. um, yeah. Wi-Fi is great for audio streaming. Just love it. Yeah. For, for all uh, and the Apple TV, same thing. If I want to crank music through my Apple TV by Wi-Fi, cranking. Awesome. Yeah. So, with with the exception that the DAC 
in Apple's devices, the Apple TV included, is not stellar. If you want audiophile yeah, quality stuff, yeah. The last it's not time you happen. were here, you were being all you you were being all picky. You were like the Heos doesn't do this and that. And I was like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. No. Well, yeah. you have a finer ear than I do. For me, it 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 does the job. You know, we're going to talk about this in in a future show. Um, but <laughs> yeah, no, 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 not not the not the Heos thing. Um, but but the these Audio people quality thing, yeah. That people that think there are actually people out there that uh, like to believe pseudoscience. Yes, I'm being incendiary, but it's I'm also being truthful. Go uh, that believe that audio encoded at 24 bits and 192 K is better to the human ear than audio encoded at 16 bits and 44.1 K. and it's not true. It, the human ear cannot hear yeah. the difference of like 16. The reason we have CD right. quality, quote unquote, CD quality at set at 16 bit and 44.1 kilohertz <laughs> is because that is the best the human ear can hear. And listen, mm-hmm. when recording, it makes perfect sense to record at 24 bit and and a higher uh, sample rate because you're going to, you know, after you record, you're going to post process and chunk stuff out. So it makes perfect sense to, you know, start with more than you need so that when you cut it all down, you don't have less than you want. Right. But it's crazy to think that for some that then encoding it at 24 bits is going to make a difference. It doesn't. There might be some argument like the the, the audio engine B1 has a 24 bit um a converter in it and it will upsample. And there is some argument that says having a, a DAC sending a 16 bit signal to a 24 bit DAC might actually be a good thing because if you have a 16 bit DAC, it could, uh, if it's not the highest quality DAC, you might wind up losing something in the, in the conversion there. But when they've done AB like blind AB text testing on this, it, it comes out that it's less like less than 50% of the people or less than 50% of the time people are right, which means it's worse than guessing if you, whether you can tell the difference between right. 16 bit and 24 bit. I don't know. Yeah. I, I rant about this a lot. Yeah. So I'm going to move on. Now. Yeah, I know. Yeah. No, all I know is that, yeah, when, when you uh, listen to the heels, uh, you, you, you uh, identified certain imperfections that were imperceptible to me, but then that's me and that's you. My problem with the heels was not, um, the quality of the sound the reproduction at certain frequencies, I think was, or, or the projection was the projection. Uh, was, it was, was not to your liking. It was weird. It, yeah. It, like, I, I get it. Had, yeah. It, it like if, if you changed your height in the room, things got weird. It yeah. was like really good it. when I was in the floor and it See, sucked. You're, you're the wrong up. height. That's the problem. Yeah, the, the problem is you're the wrong height. That's the you, problem. You're the wrong customer. Right. This product. Yeah. Now things that really get me and then we'll get back on track is Articles that talk about cabling affecting sound quality. Those are endlessly hilarious. And you've seen some of these, you know, voodoo things like, well, you got to get our, you know, super enhanced copper blood. It's dude. No, no. Cables are cables, whether it be USB or audio for the most part. No, and no. I remember I saw a study. Really? If you have oh, dude, if you have cheap quality cables, you're going to get right, bad but, but sound cheap through them. And all right, all right, but, but uh, I saw a study where they used a wire hanger 
as a, a transmitter for, for sound information yeah. versus a monster cable. And most people couldn't tell, or I think everybody, uh, I don't know. The, 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 oh. No, but uh, all right. So, so for analog sound, perhaps for digital sound, oh. I would say, you know, just like HDMI, it's like, all right. But, so you're saying that a, a, ca- a cable sending digital information that, that you have to get a certain level of quality it has to be a no. really bad cable right. to send digital info and not not work right. for like digital HDMI stuff and stuff like that. Good is good enough, right? Absolutely. But I will mention that analog. Okay, all okay. sound is analog, right? So at some point in the chain, yes, it's going to get converted to analog. And again, even there, I would argue that good is good enough, right? <laughs> you you just don't want to have breaks in the cable. You don't want to have extra resistance. Sure, that sure. kind of thing. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, no, you don't need to go spend thousands of dollars on sure. cable. I but don't. But if it's think. the right impedance and you know, right impedance and right, uh, uh, you know, right. <sighs> all right, and yeah, as we got from the room here, I think we all know this. Monster cables are way overpriced for the most part. I, I think we can all agree on that. <laughs> if, if you need good quality cables, buy them from Monoprice. I have been really impressed, like with the roadworthiness sure. of their of their cables, their quarter inch and their XLRs. It's fantastic. This stuff lasts for audio. Yeah, for, so you yeah, go to yeah, them yeah. for your audio because I go to them by and network for, and for digital, and right? Every, yeah. And every network cable I got from them is uh, stellar. Some of their equipment is kind of yeah. I haven't had wonderful results, but um, you know we're way off track, so we got to get back on track, Dave. And I think. Greg is going to bring us back on track. Uh, what do you think? Yeah. Yeah. Take it. Yeah. We'll wrap up with Greg. Okay, great. So Greg writes in and says, hi, John and Dave, as you know, aperture is going bye-bye. And yes, we know that. So the thing is for those of you who don't know this. So aperture is Apple's uh, photo, uh, professional photo management solution. Uh, iPhoto is their freebie photo management solution. And they both work under Yosemite, but the problem is they will not work. Uh, or so they say that those products are both end of life. Apple will come up with a new product. And so the, the, the uh, dilemma here is uh, Greg says, I have a client that wants to migrate from aperture and iPhoto to Lightroom. Um, and they have a terabyte of raw photos. Wow. I thought I was bad. <laughs> My library personally, Dave is a, uh, on the order of hundreds of gigabytes, but not a terabyte. So, oh my goodness, that's a lot. Um, I understand in the latest version, you can now import uh, uh, from Lightroom, uh, from Aperture to Lightroom. Have you tried this? And if so, how well does it work? I found that when I tried to import photos to Lightroom from the import from iPhoto file menu, that it made folders with a ton of different dates on the left of the Lightroom UI. Also, the client travels a lot and also has an iMac and a laptop. They mainly use the iMac at home. They want to be able to access the same Lightroom catalog on the iMac and laptop. I know that you can do smart previews, but if they have that on the iMac, then switch to the laptop, they won't be available. Lightroom Mobile is cool, but that's iPad and iPhone. Can we put the photos on a server to access and access from anywhere? If the catalog is one computer and updates the catalog, how can I use one catalog on both Macs? Basically, they want to use Lightroom from anywhere and leave the photos in one place. So if they switch from the iMac to the laptop and move it in the other room or goes on a trip, they can access them from there. Any suggestions would be appreciated. Thank you and wish you best in 2015. Likewise. So 
did some digging here. So I, I actually tried the Lightroom trial a while ago and I got kind of the same experience and that it kind of munged a lot of the, the metadata or the important stuff for a lot of us. Uh, the, you know, when you get your photos in with any package, whether it be Aperture, iPhoto, Lightroom, you, you typically do kind of neat things like name them or create albums or other organization. And last I tried the, the Lightroom import, it kind of messed things up as, as was indicated. So first off, the good news is that you can get a free trial or last I checked, you can, uh, and uh, we will uh, link to a URL that lets you um, check out their 30 day free trial. Um, the good news is that I saw a recent article in uh, guess where uh, Adobe has a blog where they talk about kind of new, interesting things that they are doing with their product. And Hey, they just apparently came out uh, around October with a aperture aperture import plugin. I believe it's also for iPhoto and they indicate specifically because I think there were problems in the past here. They indicate specifically here is the metadata that we will import and here's the metadata that we will not and it looks to cover the metadata that Greg was concerned about. So, good news. And to address the third point, now this, uh, I'm not a uh, Lightroom type of guy. I believe some people in our chat room, like I think our, our good friend Kenny there. Hi, Kenny. Maybe you could give us a follow-up on this. But um, apparently Lightroom's strategy is that they have something called a catalog file that links to your photo library. And... Uh, I found something in their support database as well that said, hey, if you want to access your library from multiple locations, you got to take your catalog file and kind of bring it with you. Now, how could you do this? You may ask. Well, gee, and they even suggest this. Well, hey, how about putting it on a flash drive or a portable drive? Um, and to me, uh, so again, I don't use their product. I, I use Aperture, but it, it sounds like uh, to me, They've addressed this. And if you want to go to multiple locations and access your library in a central location, make sure you have your catalog file with you. And to me, that doesn't sound too tough. Um, yeah. And I think that's it. Yeah. So that makes sense. Um, personally, personally, you asked me, Dave, I'm waiting. Uh, so I'm still on Aperture. I have a single library in a single location. Um, with a lot of programs, it's a, it's a concern, you know, how do you manage this? And I think, you know, we've addressed this in the past, like say I wanted to access my, I, my aperture library from remote or local. It sounds like Adobe's uh, put a bit of thought into this and came up, came up with the strategy, but for a lot of programs, it's, you got to be careful. You could put it on a server or a, a NAS and have a VPN or network access, but you got to be careful. I think, especially not so much reading, but once you start opening up a photo library, music library, any sort of library to multiple users, you got to be very careful uh, about what you do. A lot of programs will warn you, hey, dude, there's multiple people. But um, <laughs> especially you don't want to have multiple people writing. Reading, I think, is probably okay. But writing, if, if you have multiple people updating something, then I think that's just a recipe for disaster. Well, it depends. I mean, if it's a if it's built to be multi-user, it works great, right? I mean, you know, we, you and I both use multi-user databases that work fine. It, you just, you know. It's, yeah, but like, for example, I don't know if Aperture. So say I had my oh, Aperture no. library on my NAS and I access. I, I haven't tried it. And I don't know if it. No, would that's not built to be multi-user. 
Yeah, no, that's dangerous as, as all yeah. get out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. the thing is, say I had one user accessing it from remote via VPN and I was accessing it local and we both started adding photos. I, I think, like yeah. I said, that'd be a recipe for disaster. To- uh, totally, so. totally, totally. I just, I just wanted to, I didn't want it to be overly general advice. I mean, if something's built to be multi-user, by all means, you know, that that's how it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I heard. Oh, let's see if we can we get and that. Dave, here. I hear the clock ticking. You know, it's ticking. Yeah. We're we're almost uh, we're almost at the end of twenty fourteen, and then we've got this twenty fifteen thing. I mean, what what's up with that? It's an it's going to be Who, an whose odd idea year. This is? Get that? <laughs> it's going to be an odd ah. year. Oh. <laughs> oh yeah, there you go. Even I get that. Oh my gosh! Wow, we got to get out of here fast. Yeah, that was that was even worse. That's that's okay, even worse. Stop. <laughs> Primarily, though. Okay, never mind. Uh, feedback at macgeekab.com is the email address that you can write to. <laughs> right, John? I don't know about that. They, is 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 this episode prime? I don't know, but Ooh. all I know is that if you want to reach us, it is feedback at macgeekab.com. This could be a prime episode. 533... Uh, that's Dan. It doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't pass any of the the quick, you know, not prime tests. But that um, doesn't mean yeah. it's not prime. It's it's tougher and tougher as things move forward. Yeah, it could be though. Uh, feedback at macgeekab.com is the address to uh, send in uh, your answers about whether or not this episode was prime, and uh, of course, any questions and tips and cool stuff found and all of that. The next show uh, will be on. Uh, Friday, I believe, because I'm leaving for CES on Saturday. And I think because of that, I'm actually not going to have Michael convert this one to AAC. I'm going to release both of them just so we can get both shows out so we can get the, the main feed out right away. And uh, and then we will we will resume AAC on, on Friday just because we've got a short window CES. between the two. International oh, CES is have, what they say. May the Lord have mercy upon your soul. I know. No, I'm also going to the Storage Visions conference, but um, which happens this weekend. Oh my Vegas. god, you you like punishment? I know, wow. I know. Should be fun. I looked Should at it. May, maybe 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 next year I'll do it. But dude, I mean that, the show's insane. Yeah, how can you focus? Well, I know how you focus. Oh, my schedule has CES been built for two weeks. Yeah, no, it's it's um I'm very very focused. Pre plan, uh, you got yeah, pre plan. You right? have to, you have to. Yeah, I spend as Otherwise, little time on the show floor. You, you we lost in a sea of technology, and, you, and yeah, there will be no escape. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, yes, this coming Friday, January second, I believe, is the uh, the day that we're planning on doing the show next. So. All right. Uh, did I say two zero six 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 geek was the number that you can call, John? Um, I don't think you did, and I didn't say four three three five. That's right. And Google Plus, come visit us over there. We just broke uh, seven hundred people on our. I think Doctor Bob actually was number seven hundred uh, to join the wow. Google Plus community, but we're we're well he's, above that now. That's it. He's Mac- not a real doctor. No, that's right. That's um uh, let's see, it's MacGeekab.com slash Google Plus is the best way to get there. I do want to thank Michael Johnston, not for converting this show, but that's my decision. We're we're just I just want to get it out, so we'll have both of them out shortly here. Um, but he converts everything else to AAC for us and for you, and I know you and we appreciate that. So thank you, Michael. He is the host of the iOS show, uh, a fantastic 
podcast that uh, I recommend you check out. Also, thanks to the folks at Cashfly, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com for providing all the bandwidth. And of course, the podcast marketplace does include Linda, as we mentioned, lynda.com slash M-G-G to uh, get 10 days free. Also, barebones.com, smilesoftware.com, gazelle.com, squarespace.com slash M-G-G, and of course, Drobo. At, uh, I believe the coupon code MGG. I think the uh, the other ninety dollar off coupon code is gone, but MGG fifty will get you uh, fifty bucks off. So check that out too. Happy New Year, folks! Happy New Year, John. And uh, John, do you have any final lasting advice for us to uh, as we wrap up the year here? Well, especially to avoid New Year's Eve shenanigans, especially if you have um, a refreshing beverage or two. Um, be careful. Because you don't want people to pile things on top of you or draw on you because that means that you've got caught. Made up.